Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be here and to see you all. And um, some new faces as well. Praise God. It's good to have you with us. Um, my name's Ephraim. I'm one of the pastors. And um, it's a privilege for me to share the word of God this afternoon on this lovely day. I'm sure that there's two things that you're grateful for. One, that it's quite cool in here. So it's kind of nice. And two, my intention is that we're not too long. <laughs> I'm under strict instructions. <clears throat> now you guys want to enjoy the most of this day. And um, what a wonderful opportunity to, to get some nourishment for our souls as we go out to enjoy the day. Amen. Now, um, we've been blessed over the last few weeks, four or five weeks, just a, a, a real abundance of, of the Lord just gracing our hearts with his word through the various individuals that have shared with us. And um, what a blessing that's been. Um, you know, some preachers don't really let people in their pulpit, you know. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Some preachers don't let other people in their pulpit because they don't want their, their people to develop an appetite for someone else. I think, oh, he's better than our regular preacher. But, you know, the Lord is, is teaching us humility. And, um, you know, even when these guys come and, and smash it out the park and we know that we've got to still come back up after that and, and follow, we, we, we recognize it's by grace alone. Amen? Praise God. And so some of you may be wondering, some of you may have had a little heads up in terms of where we're going next. And um, one of the things I wanted to do before I kind of even introduce this little mini-series that we're about to go into um, before uh, uh, summer... Um, return to topicals, I guess, is just to kind of ground the last couple of series and this one in regards to our thinking as a church, particularly in relation to where we're at and the journey that we're on. So I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and um, they said to me, what's the church vision? So I said, You've never heard the church vision. Is there anyone here who, would, who, could, who could respond and say what the vision is? Don't help them, Bertram. Healthy church. Equipped to disciple and, and effective in outreach. All right, praise God. So our vision is to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple and effective in outreach. Now, there, were, there was a little exchange that um, took place after that. I said, so what are you telling me? And I'm not obviously going to tell you who it is. <laughs> they know and I know, and that's all that matters. I said, do you mean to tell me that, brother? You've never heard that. Um, in, so I said, brother, no. Some of you trying to do the maths now. Don't watch that. In, in all the time that you've been, no, I haven't heard that. I said, well, I don't know if that's shame on us or shame on you. But the reality is that we need to consistently repeat these things and unpack this with regards to how it makes sense to us practically and what it means to us practically. And actually, when you look back over the last couple of series, there's actually been a, a, a consistency and a continuity in relation to the vision. So the vision, for those who don't know, is we aim to be, because they said to me, well, we're none of those things. And I said, that's why it's a vision, brother. You know what I mean? That's what we're aiming for. We aim to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple, effective in outreach. We had the last series. In fact, you know what? Let me go back to the series before that. Does anyone remember what the series was before last? The series before last. Just shout out. So the last series was DEFCON 1. The series before that. Yeah. 
All right, thank you. God's healthy household. Remember that now? First Timothy, God's healthy household. Yeah? Now, consider that. How would you say, or which aspect of the vision would you say that that relates to? Healthy church. Adam said all of them. He's playing it safe. Cover all the bases. <laughs> so, in, in, obviously, it does touch on all of them because all scripture does in one way or another. But there's a particular focus there in relation to the first aspect of the vision that aim to be a healthy church. Amen? So, we see at the core of, of 1 Timothy that, that defining verse that you may know how to behave in the household of God. Okay, so, that was... The, the series before last. The last series, DEFCON 1, defend and contend to the end, Second Timothy. I have the pleasure of saying all of these are up on Vimeo for those of you who uh, have missed those series. And so you can go and partake at your heart's content. Praise God for the video team, the sound team. Bless the Lord. So DEFCON 1, what aspect of the vision might that most relate to? Effective in outreach or discipleship? Discipleship. All right, so I've got more in favor of discipleship. So again, as much as it might speak into the other areas, because it definitely relates to outreach, and as much as it does relate to us maintaining health, there's a particular focus there on being equipped to disciple. So remember, there was that, that 2 Timothy 2, entrust to others who will entrust to others. And there's that strong sense of discipleship that is being communicated through that. And so as we get into our mini-series now, what do you think it might be speaking into as we jump into it? Based on the vision. Effective in outreach, you see? <laughs> Praise God. And so we're about to jump into the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. And um, it's going to be a mini-series, four chapters. We're going to go over it in four weeks. And it definitely speaks to the issue of mission. It speaks to the issue of mission. Because for anyone who has any kind of familiarity with Jonah you will know that Jonah was called to mission. He was called to mission. In fact, he was called to mission as a prophet to those who were not his own people. And that is actually something that was very unique to Jonah. Jonah was the only prophet who was called to go to another nation and prophesy to them the word of the Lord. Yeah, other prophets spoke about other nations, Gentile nations, non-Jewish nations. They spoke about them from within the comfort of their own borders and boundaries. But Jonah went, was called on mission to another nation in order to bring the word of God. So, as we jump into Jonah, put your mission glasses on. And consider it through those lenses. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do come before you recognizing that we have such a privilege. Privilege, Lord, such a great privilege being your children. And as we grow in maturity and we grow in your grace, as we grow in our spiritual health, it is reasonable and expected. In fact, it is necessary that we be a people who are outward looking, individually and corporately. And so, Lord, as we approach the book of Jonah, our prayer is that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us and your heart for mission. Lord, you are the great missionary 
Father, you sent your son into the world on mission to seek and save the lost. And many, if not most of us here, can testify to your saving grace. The work of your spirit drawing us to yourself. And we say thank you and amen. Lord, we pray that you would empower us, that you would help us as missionaries to be faithful, to be faith-filled, faithful missionaries. Speak to us by your spirit through your word, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, speaking of mission for many is a daunting issue because it is one of the things that we feel least comfortable about in relation to our Christian lives. Even less comfortable than raising our hands and singing out in praise. (laughs) For some people that feels uncomfortable. That's another matter for another day. But the issue of mission is such that For so many of us, we feel very cagey and we feel very reluctant or even hesitant. Now, I want to reassure you from the outset that this series isn't us taking opportunity to beat the sheep. (laughs) We're not going to stand here throughout this series and try and bludgeon people in order to motivate you to be on mission. I think there's going to be something that we see in this book, this short book, exciting and interesting book, that will actually encourage all of our hearts to be strengthened on mission. And so, please don't get nervous. Um, don't make plans for the next few weeks thinking, oh, you know, I'll just duck that series because I don't really want to be sitting down made, being made to feel guilty every Sunday and then um, just come back when something fresh is on the table. Not necessary. You know, the feelings of hesitancy can be due to a few things. One of the main things is fear. Fear of not knowing what to say, fear of getting maybe overwhelmed or out-debated by somebody who doesn't believe, and just a, just a general fear of not being up to the task. Well, if that's the case for you, you can be encouraged that you're in good company, because there was a certain element to that that Jonah himself experienced, as we'll see. For some of us, it's not fear, but it's laziness. You know what? My salvation doesn't depend on me actually being a witness to anyone. Um, And I'm quite happy to just cruise, just to chill. Well, as we'll see through the book of Jonah... There is a great deal at stake. And each one of us have our part to play. And it makes no sense trying to run from your calling and purpose. Because the Lord will always keep bringing you back to it. For some of us, hesitancy is based on prejudice. I don't really like the people that I'm called to be a witness to. I'd be quite happy if I didn't have to talk to them. You know what? I'm quite a, you know, private person. I go home, I go to work, or I go to college, uni, I do my thing, and that's it. Keep myself to myself. Because people are complicated. Furthermore, people are cantankerous. And it's just a hype. Forget it. Well, again, we'll see that there was definitely those sentiments shared 
at the core of Jonah's issues. Regardless of the things that may cause you uh, a certain sense of hesitation in being missional, you can be certain that God has that calling on your life. It's given in his word that we are to go and make disciples who make disciples. And one of the things we're to appreciate is that that is a process that all of us are able to engage in at different points in the process at different ways. And so, on to Jonah. Let's draw encouragement from what many call the reluctant prophet. Some say even the rebellious prophet. But actually, maybe there's more to it than that. You see, the book of Jonah, for many, is really um, known for the story of Jonah and the whale. Some have seen the pictures, Jonah sitting there in the whale's belly with a little candlelight, where he get candle from, who knows, <laughs> but Jonah's in the belly of the whale with a candle. I don't even know what he's looking for with the candle. But for many, that's the, the be-all and end-all of the story. To the point where people have debated, is this story even true? Or is it just a, a parable or an allegory? Well, Jesus quoted Jonah, the situation or the incident of Jonah, on a few occasions. And we know that he went on to be killed and raised from the dead openly demonstrated to be the son of God. And so if Jesus recognized the story of Jonah to be true, that's all the evidence that I need. I don't need to try and work out what, what kind of big fish exists that might have swallowed Jonah and have the capacity. I don't need to try and work out all of that. I just know that this is God's inspired word that references an account that took place in the life of a very real individual. We see Jonah spoken of in 2 Kings chapter 14 as one who was a prophet to the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. It was in the 8th century, so it was a, it was, it was, there was a real time frame in which he lived and there were real people, historic figures that he interacted with. He's not just some made-up character. We see that in, from 2 Kings that he was a prophet whose ministry was active beyond his call to go to Nineveh. In fact, he prophesied to the king of Israel, Jeroboam II. And so we see Jonah, a real man on a real mission. So look with me at chapter 1. Let's read the first few verses, and I'm just going to break it down as we go. So, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So God calls Jonah to bring the word. And it's the first thing I kind of note personally, just by way of observation, is the fact that Jonah was an individual with a track record. Some of us want to be used by God. Some of us desire to be used by God. We want to be used to bring the word. And as we always say as leaders, well, 
what are you doing now where you're at? Because sometimes the appeal of upfront visible ministry can be quite alluring and quite enticing. Yeah, I want to be up the front. I want to be on the teaching rotor and, you know, just like I see Ben up there and Sammy G and, and Io and I want to be able to teach ladies meeting or well, the reality is that all of us have the word of the Lord. Amen? amen. I'm only assuming that you couldn't say amen if you don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, then I'll understand why you weren't able to say amen. But all of us have the word of the Lord. Amen? amen. So how are you working with the word that God has given you already? You know, some people are looking for that prophetic word, that rhema. That speaking to the moment word. But the Bibles are dusty. Pages stuck together. Sun bleached. You know, it's been sitting on the windowsill so long. But they're looking for that rhema word, that word that's going to come to them. And the Lord says, I've given you the word. What are you doing with the word that you've already got? Jonah was a brother who had a track record. He was faithful. He worked with the word that the Lord had already given him. Standing before the king, no doubt, at risk of his own safety. And yet, the Lord now came to him with a specific mission to send him on. It's interesting when we consider Jonah's response. We see in verse 3, but Jonah... He rose to flee to Tarshish. Jonah didn't want to carry this word. He didn't want to take this word. It's a bit kind of confusing because Jonah's name actually means dove. You know, white feathered, tunnel visioned, dove's eyes as they say. And if any of you are familiar with the scriptures, you will recall in Genesis that the dove became a symbol of peace after Noah sent one out after the flood and it came back with an olive branch in its mouth. And since that time, the dove has been known as a symbol of peace. And so Jonah, by definition of his very name, was to be a symbol of peace, a bearer of peace. And yet he had no peace about going on this mission. Why was that? Maybe it was because he was called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, that great city. For their evil has come up before me. Now, evidently we see from that, that Nineveh wasn't an enticing or attractive place to be sent to. Nineveh was the Assyrian capital, which was non-Jewish. And the Ninevites and the Assyrians were known to be an extremely brutal people. Hence, God saying, their evil has come up before me. We see that in the Assyrian history, they were one of the most brutal nations that have ever ruled. One of their kings from the ninth century, Ashbanapal, called himself the trampler of nations. And he said this about himself, I besieged and trampled many cities, cut off arms and hands, cut off noses, ears and extremities and gouged out the eyes of my enemies. In fact, the Assyrians were known for putting their enemies through a very torturous death. So what they would do is they would dismember an individual limb by limb, cut off the arm, cut off a leg, cut off the other leg, Maybe they'd done it in sections whilst the person was still alive. And what they would do is they would leave one arm so that as the person slowly died, they would go and shake 
the individual's hand, the one remaining hand that they've got left. Such was their callous nature. They were a people who were evil. They were known for skinning their enemies, for beheading their enemies and creating skull pyramids. Not huge pyramids like the ones in Egypt, but they would build piles of skulls at the city gates. They would take the heads of their enemies and put them on a pole eight at a time and put the poles along the street. And all of this was to strike fear into their opponents. And so you would say, you know what? It's kind of reasonable that Jonah might feel reluctant to go to Nineveh. But this isn't the primary reason why Jonah didn't want to go. His primary reason wasn't fear. He was called to be a prophet, and he knew it was a hazardous job. And difficulty came with the job description. But we see in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, the reason, the real reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah wasn't reluctant to go to Nineveh because he was in fear of his own safety. Jonah didn't rebel and run from God because he was concerned about his own safety. Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to hear the word of the Lord and be forgiven. Now, I know some of you can relate to that, as I said, because there's certain people at work, and you're like, you know what? I pray God's judgment come quick. Because this person really is touching the Lord's anointing. Every time I come in here to work, I'm having to put up with this. And the last thing on your mind is to give them the gospel and see them saved. For some, it may be because of um, rejection that you've experienced from an individual or abuse. And you... The last thing on your mind when you think about that individual is, wow, that the Lord might have you share the gospel with that person. You see, Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated their heathen, pagan ways. Jonah hated the fact that they were Israel's enemy and actually had Israel in a very vulnerable place, under threat from them. He had a love for his people and such a, a disregard for them that he actually would rather die than go to Nineveh. And so in verse 3, what he does is he sets about getting as far from Nineveh as he can. So we see three times in the one verse, the fact that Jonah was trying to get to where? Tarshish. Tarshish was two and a half thousand, three thousand miles away from where Jonah was. That was, you know, I want to get as far away as I can. I've heard of this place. He, he went to the port in Joppa intentionally to go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was one of those places where few people went from Israel. It was a very expensive voyage. It was a very long voyage. And there was really no big reason for Jews to be heading to Tarshish. But Jonah had heard of this place and had determined, mm, that place sounds very far, that's where I'm going.
Not only was it far, but as you'll see from this map, it's in completely the opposite direction to Nineveh. Literally. So from where Jonah was, you see to the right of the map Israel, and there's a place called Gath-Hefer. That's where Jonah was from. And he was being called to go northwest, northeast, sorry, to Nineveh. And he ends up going southwest to Joppa to get on a boat going in completely the opposite direction. Jonah was determined not to do this. He was determined to run from his calling. And not only was he trying to run from his calling, but we see in verse 3 that it was the height of escapism. He was trying to run from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah was a prophet. He knew the scriptures. The Psalms, Lord David said, where can I run from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning, you are there. If I, if I descend to the lower parts, you are there. Well, Jonah knew this, but he weren't trying to reason. He wasn't trying to consider the word of God at that point. He was on a mission to get away. Hmm. Now, however discomforting or should I say uncomfortable however challenging however offensive we find the people that we're called to minister God's word to there is no excuse for rebellion there is no excuse to try and run from that which God has called us to Even if, as some have said, Jonah being called to minister the word to the Ninevites is kind of like, in fact, I wonder if any of you recognize this person. Who's that, Ben? Anne Frank. Her diaries were published and made famous. She was a, a, a victim of the Holocaust in World War II um, and she is Jewish was Jewish from a Jewish family and she was from an area called Westbrook and was one of the last families on, on the last um, batch or the last group to be taken from that region to the concentration camp in Auschwitz this was after a long period of hiding with her family. Basically, somebody went to the authorities and informed on them. She was separated from her father and went with her sister and was killed in the concentration camp. And some have said, Jonah being called to minister the word to the Ninevites would be like Anne Frank in early World War II being called to give the word of God to Hitler. That tyrant, that individual who is slaughtering her people by the millions, being called to go and give the word of God. The reality is that there are times in our lives as Christians when we are called on tough missions. There are times when we are called to do things that we don't want to do. And yet we recognize that God is sovereign over all and he knows what he's doing. And the reality is that we give ourselves to an exercise in futility 
It's a completely time-wasting endeavor to try and run from God. And some of you can testify and say amen because I've tried it. I've tried it. And it just resulted in frustration. It resulted in contention. And it definitely left me with no peace. Jonah went to Joppa. The, the, the name of Joppa means beautiful. And he got on a ship going to Tarshish. And the name of Tarshish means destruction. And to run from God is to go from a beautiful place and head for destruction. In Proverbs 16, 25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but the end of it leads to death. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And the very fact that you're here is, the, is you're acknowledging that, you know what, God is drawing you. He's calling you to himself. It's pointless to run. Because there is nothing good that comes from running. And we see that in the following verses. Looking at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? You can tell they're desperate, right? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the Lord brings a storm. The Lord brings a storm. And it was a violent storm. And it was a storm of such great proportions that it caused these seafaring sailors these seasoned sailors, to be afraid. It's clear that the storm was out of character because they realized this wasn't just the elements doing its thing, but this storm, whether it is in this place or at this time, is completely unseasonal. To the point where they began looking for other reasons because it was clear that it wasn't just the climate. They weren't just having a bad day. Now, it is said that these mariners were either Phoenicians or a team of sailors from different countries. We notice that it says in verse 5 that each cried out to his God. And what was common amongst the, the Gentiles of that era was that they would each have a God for their locality or for their location. And so... You know, you might have one whose God was God over the ship. You might have another whose God was, you know, the God of, of a, a local village or district. And it's a bit like maybe in, in India where they have a hundred million gods, a God for everything. These sailors each had their own God. 
And what would happen is, in calling out to their God, they're trying to establish, hmm, it, have we gone into an area of your jurisdiction in such a way that this has caused problems? Or have we gone into the jurisdiction, the, the ruling area of another God? And they were basically clutching at straws. They were trying to, all that they could to find out what is the reason for this storm because they knew that they would die. They were evidently taken in water, so they started throwing out cargo. It's amazing the things that become <laughs> expendable when our lives are put in jeopardy. It's amazing the things that we can do without when things get peak, gets really serious. These guys were traders. Carrying cargo was their business. But right about now, they didn't business. Overboard. This ship needs to be lighter so that we take in less water. And yet, that wasn't the answer. That didn't help them. And some of us were like that. We get into a situation where we're in rebellion against God... And things start to get very rocky, very stormy, and we start looking for answers in other places. And we start trying to change other aspects of our lives. Or maybe I just need to get a new job. Maybe I just need to change my friends. Because those Christian friends are too interfering. Too much conviction around them. Maybe I need to go to another church. Whatever it might be. But as we see, it didn't deal with the heart of the issue. All this time, Jonah is asleep in the cargo hold at the bottom of the boat. So Jonah's gone down to Joppa, down into the bottom of the ship, and laid down. And we see that actually, this downward trend continues as he seeks to go further from God. Because as you'll see in the next chapter, he gets thrown down into the sea and gets swallowed down into the belly of the fish. That's what happens when we try and run from God. Talk about being on a downer. But why was Jonah asleep? Why was Jonah chilling in the, I mean, literally, I mean, and this word for sleep in the Hebrew was he was snoring, drawing like, maybe like me when I sleep. He was sleeping soundly. The captain had to come and wake him up. We see from his response that, you know what? Jonah wasn't concerned about the storm. When they asked him, who are you, that they cast lots, we don't know what the lots were. It's not like picking a card at random or maybe picking out a short straw, but it was maybe some kind of dice type. Some people say that it was stones with, with writings on them and you'd shake them together and throw them down and if they all matched up, then that was the right answer. Some people say they may have been colored stones, white on one side, black on the other, and when they matched up, however they done it, it was like rolling dice. And the finger pointed at Jonah. And when they spoke to Jonah, the first thing on his mind was the reality of his situation. I am a Hebrew. And interestingly enough, he says, I fear the Lord. Now, you would have thought, bruv, if you feared the Lord, you wouldn't be on that boat. Surely, you'd be on your way to Nineveh right about now. And yet, as Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jonah knew that he was on a mission, a futile mission. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven whose jurisdiction is over all the sea and over all the land. <laughs> the God who is bigger than your local gods. 
And at this, they became exceedingly afraid because they realized, well, if there's any, any God that we've, we've upset, then we're very likely to have upset the God who's God over everything. It's not even like we can sail out of his jurisdiction and out of his rule. He's the ruler of the seas and the land. And this is why they were exceedingly afraid. And so, was this storm an overreaction? Seems a bit like harsh, right? Seems a bit extreme. Well, Jonah knew that it wasn't. We see from verses 11 and 12, when they asked him, Look, what, are we, what, what do we need to do in order to make this storm stop? Because it was getting worse. Jonah says to them in verse 12, look, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Because I know this great storm is because of me. And that's why it's come upon you. So Jonah's telling them, look, the only way out of this is to get me out of, the, out of your ship. Get me off your ship and you'll be fine. Now, again, storm, overreaction, Jonah thrown overboard, really? Is that necessary? Remember, Jonah was a prophet called to be faithful to God. In 1 Samuel 15, it says, Obedience is better than sacrifice. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Jonah had rebelled against God. And at least at this point in the voyage, he's taken responsibility. He's taken responsibility. Look, it's my fault. And sometimes we get ourselves into situations where in our rebellion against God, in our, in our unwillingness to submit to the word of God, it begins to impact on the lives of others. And for some of us, we try and carry on as if it's not our fault. When what we need to do is like Jonah, take responsibility. And so Jonah says, Look, I'm the one that's the problem. Throw me overboard. <laughs> now, the funny thing is that these heathen mariners don't just grab him straight away and think, cool, let's, let's just get this over with. You grab the arms, I'll grab the legs. Come on, get him over. They actually start rowing in verse 13 in an attempt to get back to dry land. They had compassion on Jonah. They were trying to avoid having to allow him meet the consequence of his choices. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a word of wisdom to us there. There's a word of wisdom for us to take from this. Sometimes when God's dealing with someone... We just need to let God deal with them. Sometimes when God's dealing with a person, we don't need to try and come and smooth the brow and pat the hair and rub their back. And sometimes we just need to let God deal with them because we're not making it any better. And so even though they were trying to help Jonah, verse 13, Rowing hard to get back to dry land, they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so they called out to the Lord in verse 14, Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you. Now they're concerned, look, if we fry him over, he's going to dead. He's going to die. And we don't want to be charged for his death. We don't want to be held guilty for offending you further by killing him. 
So please, don't lay it against our charge. Lord, and notice, sometimes, you know, even the unbelievers, <laughs> when they see God working in our lives and dealing with our lives, they see with greater clarity than we do. They say, in verse 14, O oh Lord, you have done as it pleased you. You have done as it pleased you. And even in this instance, they recognize the sovereignty of God. God is in the heavens, the psalmist says. He does whatever he pleases. And they recognize this. I'm sure that must have been quite irritating for Jonah. You know what it's like when somebody pulls you up? You're at work and people are running joke and you say the wrong thing and well, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. You're out in the club and you bump into someone that you don't expect to see. Oh, I didn't expect to see you, yeah? Didn't know Christians come to places like this. The Lord really used these sailors <laughs> to minister to rebellious Jonah just as much as he used the storm. And the reality is that the Lord is so committed to his people that he will go to all manner of lengths and take all different measures to bring us back on track when we go off course. This is what we see here. We see God frustrating Jonah's flight. He's not letting him get away. And it's not just because he loves Jonah, but it's also because he loves the Ninevites. Now, God could have used anyone else. He could have just said, cool, Jonah, do your thing. Innit? Go about your business. Just remove my anointing from your life. That's it. But as we learn in the book of Romans, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. Running from your calling is futile. And so, verse 15, they pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. It was like, as if the storm weren't bad enough. And then finding out that this is actually the living God who made the heavens and the earth, who, who is God of the sea and the land. And then to see actually that when we threw him into the water, as he said, it stopped. Wow, talk about signs and wonders. They feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the interesting thing is, what we see here is, if you like, an a afterthought at the end of this chapter indicating that actually these sailors got saved. These sailors got saved. The way in which this, this, this verse 16 is written in the Hebrew, it's written in, in a way in which people, um, it's structured in a way in which people write the kind of conclusions to a, an episode or to, at the end of a letter. The men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And it's even suggested in Jewish tradition that these sailors went to Jerusalem to the temple of the living God in order to become proselytes. And it even goes on to say in Jewish tradition that they accepted circumcision. So you know the fear of the Lord was really put into them. But even in 
Jonah's rebellion, running from God. The Lord is still evidencing his call on his life by saving those he's come into contact with. These sailors had a revelation of the living God. In verses 14 and 15, when they call on the Lord, they call on the Lord Yahweh. Using God's covenant name as they seek to do his will. And so, in this, we see the futility of trying to run from the call of God. We see the futility of walking in disobedience. But this isn't the primary purpose for this text or even the book. The primary purpose is to show the goodness of God. It's not just to present Jonah as an example that we shouldn't be like because we're all like Jonah. We're all disobedient, hesitant, fearful at some point or another. And we see that throughout salvation history, Abraham lied. He had a child in the flesh. Moses got frustrated and struck the rock and misrepresented God. David killed. I mean, you go through salvation history and you see countless examples of individuals who didn't do the right thing. Apart from one. You see, where Jonah was disobedient, Jesus was obedient. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, he says, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of, of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus recognized that Jonah was used by God. And as we get to the end of the story, you'll see God used Jonah, <laughs> even though he still had a lot to learn. And yet still, in so many ways, he was a type of Christ. Except Jesus fulfilled that which Jonah left out. Consider this. While Jonah slept, he was struck by the storm of God without peace. And yet Jesus is God who slept in the storm that struck. Remember Jesus in the book of Mark? When he's out on the river Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes in, and he was sleeping in the boat, and the disciples are like, Lord, how can you be sleeping? Don't you know we're perishing? And Jesus just got up and spoke peace to the storm. He commanded peace. Jonah brought a pass to get away from God. And he said, not your will, God, but mine be done. And yet Jesus said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, Father but yours be done. Jonah was thrown into the sea of God's wrath so judgment would come on the Ninevites. Look, if I die, they'll get it. Throw me overboard. And yet Jesus was metaphorically thrown into the sea of God's wrath by being nailed to the cross in order to take our judgment. 
See, Jesus is the greater Jonah. And for us who see in ourselves Jonah, we can be encouraged that the greater Jonah has come and fulfilled the will of God on our behalf. So that not only might we be forgiven, but that also we can walk in the strength of that fulfillment and do likewise. There is no peace in your storm apart from Jesus. And so, as we submit to him and surrender our hearts and lives to he who is God, who speaks peace to the storm, then you know what? We can be encouraged that we're able to go on with God and get back on track and do the will of the Lord. Amen? Some of you are wondering, well, what happened to verse 17? Verse 17 you'll get next time. In the Hebrew version of Jonah, verse 17 of chapter 1 is actually the beginning of chapter 2. And so it kind of leaves you on a cliffhanger. Let's stand. We serve a good God. And God would desire that we in submission to his lordship that we would carry the word of his goodness even to those who we don't feel deserve it. Even to those who we wouldn't desire to have it. Who we'd rather see get judged like James and John, the sons of thunder. Shall we call down fire from heaven on them? And yet God's goodness far outweighs our bad. So let's rejoice in Jesus, our greater Jonah. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness. We do thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your loving kindness. We thank you for your goodness. Because you are so unlike us. If we lived during the time of World War II, would we go and carry the word of the gospel to Hitler? Seeing the atrocities, the tyranny, the wholesale slaughter of individuals, the wickedness. For some of us, we don't have to look so far afield. For some of us, we we may look at the homosexual community and say, "Ah, I couldn't go to them. For some of us, we may say, Muslim extremists, "Ah, they need to be judged. And yet, Lord, your goodness is beyond our comprehension. Your ability to save is beyond our recognition. You're able to bring any and all to repentance. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful, submitted stewards. And even in those times when we attempt to run or feel like running, Lord, we're grateful that you bring us back on track. You'll bring us back on task. Even if you have to allow all sorts of madness in our life in order to do so. Help us, Lord, we pray as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.